Hello, you're listening to Panthers on Tap. I'm Curtis Round, joined by Bryson Carbley. We're just two fans sharing our love for the game and Carolina Panthers football. So join us, crack open a cold one, some bubbly, a little wine, some scotch. We don't care, whatever makes you sleep better at night. Before we dive in today's third episode, a little self-promotion for us. Stop what you're doing. Go give us a follow on Twitter at Panthers on Tap. Join the discussion on our Facebook group, Panthers on Tap. We have over 2,500 members. You can find all of our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, just search Panthers on Tap. Don't forget to give Bryson and I some love on Twitter. Follow us at Coach Rule and at Curtis underscore round. Let's dive right into today's episode. We got a packed show tonight. Start off, Peter Schrager, good morning football on Tuesday. He had a six for one deal. Panthers get Watson, Texans receive Teddy Bridgewater, Christian McCaffrey, Robbie Anderson, Brian Burns, first round pick this year and next year. The kitchen sink, basically, everything in the house. John Ellis is on for us for one Panther place, joining us now on Panthers on Tap. John, what say you? Well, I think, you know, I I mentioned last night about Schrager's, and I love Schrager's. He's a good follow. We we chat a lot on Twitter. You know, that, that... that seems to me to be something of a, of a debate right now, whether or not it's going to take that many veterans to be offloaded, whether or not it's Robbie Anderson and Curtis Samuel and Brian Burns. Man, when you get into a Brian Burns discussion, that's a tough one. He's five. You guys know you follow my account. He's one of my favorite defenders in the league, not just Panthers wise. He's a great edge rusher. And I would hate for them to lose that. But I think it was a reality check. I don't think Schrag's is far off. It, it will take something in that ballpark in terms of, you know, two, maybe three first-round picks. And then I think what Houston really wants here, from what I'm hearing, it's not just, you know, extra draft picks. They want a couple guys that can come in defensively and even offensively, but, but really on defense and make an impact right away. And I think Burns fits that bill. Would I deal Burns away if I'm Carolina? I would have a hard time doing that. But, again, you're talking to Sean Watson, a top three quarterback in my mind right now at 25. It's a very unique situation. The market conditions have have changed dramatically. Let's just say that over the past uh, 12 months. Going off of that, three, though, I mean, three key guys. Let's take Teddy Bridgewater out of the picture. Christian McCaffrey, Robbie Anderson, and Brian Burns. You think, you think it's going to take that much to get the Texans to bite? I think it's going to blow people away how much it's going to take to get this trade done, whether it's Carolina, whether it's Miami, whether it's the Jets, whether it's another uh, dark horse candidate out there. Now, is it going to take Teddy and three starters? I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it'll be that much. But I think if it could be Teddy and two of those guys, I could I could see that. I could say, you know, a big part of what Carolina's trying to do here, guys, is, is offload Teddy's contract. They've done a, you know, mea culpa. And like, hey, look, you know, this contract was not a good one. Obviously, we want to get out of this thing. This is something we're trying to actively unload, uh, sort of like I would guess the Jared Goff situation to a lesser degree. So, yeah, they're actively trying to move Bridgewater in this from all reports. Now, is it going to take, you know, that many veterans that are, you know, key cog type of players? I don't know if it'll take that many. I think it was just a good wake up call to Panthers fans. Schrager, of course, could be overstepping a little bit there, but I don't think we know yet. This could be the biggest deal in NFL history maybe besides Herschel Walker it might exceed that so I think it's going to take an unprecedented amount of capital to fulfill that the problem with Carolina is your competition right now reportedly is is Miami and the Jets and you got the eighth overall pick 
versus the top three there. So that becomes problematic when your lead-in package and draft is number eight overall. Not that that's bad, but they just don't have enough draft equity to make that happen. So they would almost have to flip, <laughs> let's say, 20% of their starting roster to bring in a franchise quarterback. It's not the path I would have imagined David Tepper taking 12 months ago. Boy, it's been a change of pace, hasn't it? I mean, we're talking about, you know, patience, sustained excellence. It might take five years to build 20 years of greatness. And then all of a sudden, Deshaun Watson's available and David Tepper's tired of losing. So I just don't know where his head's at. I just know from good reporting and from what I'm hearing, he's going all in. Like you said, Tepper was about, you know, patience. Rome wasn't built in one day. He signed rule to a seven-year deal, for God's sakes. <laughs> how if if Watson's part of this speed up the process well how is that playing into this aggressive approach from Tepper and he, he, it's moving up that building process of this is all about the process where it's going to take three four years Matt Rule it's always his third year as a coach that that team really catapults to the top so what how does Watson play into that I think market conditions dictated that honestly I don't think anybody assumed at all that Deshaun Watson would be available in any realm, you know, 12 months ago, six months ago, obviously that was a slow burn with the Texans and to be fair, he's still under contract to be fair. They still have not actively said they're going to trade him, but as I've opined over the past couple of weeks, I don't think there's any question they're going to have to, if they want to get, you know, something in return else is going to be a stalemate for a whole year. They're going to lose capital and they're going to lose leverage. So, yeah, I think the market conditions change. I also think, you know, when you look at the, the evolution of David Tepper's regime here, he starts in first couple of years, focuses in on the business side of the operations, does a little chiseling there, you know, does a little maneuvering there, gets things in order. Of course, he's got the MLS soccer stuff on his plate, lobbying for a new stadium, the headquarters in Rock Hill, a lot going on. So to his credit, he's now taking a more active role on the football side, but I think what I like here is Scott Fitterer's presence, who, again, from a Seattle perspective, we talked to Doug Farrar, we talked to Sam Farmer, two great reporters out West who have covered Fitterer for years, and they both highly recommend this guy from not only an uh, analytical perspective, but from an aggressive standpoint, that they come from a, Scott comes from a regime that's not going to sit back. You know, Scott's famous quote is, we're in on every deal. So I think the way I would frame it is anything you've heard from David Tepper's mouth before Scott Fitter has been hired and the, the ink was dry on that contract, put an asterisk beside it because now it's a brand new vision, a brand new operation. You finally have a general manager that's not named Marty Herney. Thank goodness. A lot of Panthers fans would say, thank goodness. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, Marty did some great things here early in his tenure, but it was getting stale. And it was time to move on. So, yeah, I, I make of that, to your point, um, market conditions changed. And I think Scott Fitter, in my opinion, again, I'm not sourced on this, but my opinion, Scott got in there and said, hey, you know, what are we waiting on? Why are we waiting five years to do this? Guys, I come from Seattle. It took us a couple of years to get competitive with Mike Holmgren and beginning with Pete Carroll. So why are we waiting? Let's dive in, make some deals and get things done. And I, I think it's fair to say not every season a top three quarterback that leads the league in passing that's 25 years old becomes available. So that kind of definitely yeah. does does change your opinion on everything, um, sure. especially if you're trying to rebuild such as what Tepper said. But so in a potential deal for Watson, I know we've seen the things that 
Tepper's aggressive and that the Texans are looking for potentially two two defensive stars. Do you see the Panthers in a position to where they, they trade Burns in a, in a chin or Burns in a brown with multiple picks? Do you see them doing that, being that aggressive? I don't see chin or brown on the table, and here's why. Those are Matt Rule guys. See, I, I'm looking at this kind of multidimensionally here in terms of whose guys are who. Okay, so Matt Rule's first draft, chin and brown are the centerpieces of that draft. I don't think in any way – you know, Deshaun Watson, of course, everything's on the table – but I think those are two guys they'd be most reluctant to deal. Uh, Brian Burns, to me, I, I think would be a, a reach. I, I, I know it might come to that in terms of what Houston wants and what calculus Carolina makes from their end. And how involved is Dave Tepper in these negotiations? Who's the final, you know, who, who's, as George W. Bush would say, who's the decider? <laughs> who, who, who makes who pulls, who pulls trigger? They, they talk about this being He's consensus. the kingpin. Let's be real here. <laughs> he is. He, I, I think it's without the, the, the richest owner in the league. Nothing runs by his desk without approval. So I think he's going to be the guy to pull the trigger. But it's going to come at the recommendation of a very, uh, I think, very competent general manager in Scott Fitter and a head coach in Matt Rule, who, let's be honest, he came from Baylor. He's got one year of NFL experience under his belt. Uh, I, I like what Matt presents, but I'm still very skeptical. I still want to see more in terms of game management, in terms of how he pans out. This is a big decision for Matt Rule. Oh, this is it. I mean, you're talking about a seven-year deal. You can throw that out the window. Whatever they decide, decide to do here, whether they go with Watson, whether they draft a guy, you know, whether Trey Lance, Mac uh, Jones, no, no, no thank you, uh, <laughs> whoever – they lean on in terms of their next quarterback is going to be monumental. How influential was Matt Rule in the Teddy Bridgewater fiasco? Some would have you believe that was Marty Herney's Hail Mary last attempt. I have to believe that Matt Rule and Joe Brady were a big part of that. So I think it's easy to write that off on Marty Herney, and I've heard that speculation. But I think that if they talk about building a consensus. This has been the messaging all along. It would be very disingenuous for Matt and for others in the organization, including Dave Tepper, to write Teddy Bridgewater off as somebody else's decision. It's on their watch. It was it was part of their evaluation process. Teddy started out the year very strong, didn't end so well. But yeah, I mean, I think to your point, it's it's going to take an enormous amount of compensation to pry Deshaun Watson away. And Houston, the one thing they are doing that is smart now. And this is, I think, Nick Casario's doing because this organization has been far from smart of late. Is taking their time. There's no rush from there. Absolutely no rush. People say got to get them for the drafts and get compensation. No, this is your franchise guy. A once in a lifetime opportunity. Take your time. Get the maximum compensation you can get. John, I want to jump in here just quick on the Teddy Bridgewater thing because it's interesting, and maybe the answer is obvious, but. You had in the, in the offseason, they were all in on Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, they, they, this guy, he knows, he knows Joe Brady's offense. He can get yep. the offense rolling. And it was all about Teddy Bridgewater. We're putting Cam Newton. We're moving the chapter forward. You look at the end of the year, Matt Rule said, Teddy Bridgewater better have his best off season ever. And, and now there's speculation. They're trying to trade him away. They, they already tried to offer him for Stafford. And now there's rumors, A, that – from Rappaport that they're trying, they've been fielding calls and it's been stagnant, but where did that change? Was it when the eight games where he couldn't win in the final two, three minutes, where, where did that change over happen? 
Yeah, I, I think very much, Curtis, that that was the period of time. We had mentioned on, on our Twitter feed and some of our podcasts uh, that, you know, this was it for Teddy. Folks assumed that, okay, he's cozy with this contract. He's got two solid years and a third year, you know, available there with, with an opt-out for the team that was favorable. No, I kept saying, look, <laughs> you better be sharp these last few weeks, Teddy. This is an opportunity to audition for a long-term job. I had doubts as far as his limitations. Uh, the, the latest report we've heard from Albert Breer is part of the reason they want to move on is because of his limitations. Well, <laughs> shocker. I mean, this is, again, something I'm not trying to be mean about Teddy, but look, we looked at the film all last offseason. I couldn't find anything that compelled me to believe, okay, this is a franchise guy. This is a guy that can carry you when the chips are down. Cam Newton always had that physical element to his game not the most accurate pass, would make mistakes, always had a tendency to overthrow, but again, would make solid throws when his arm was right. I think that was the big thing with Cam. The arm, we just don't know. The legs are fine, obviously. But with Bridgewater, I just never saw the arm talent or the decisiveness in the pocket. So Evan Cooper, the defensive backs assistant for Carolina, had mentioned a while back, this is reported to The Athletic, that, hey, Matt Rule, if you ever get a chance to, and, and Evan reportedly told this to Matt, you ever get a chance to go to the NFL, Teddy Bridgewater's the guy you want to go get. And that was a head-scratcher to me. It really was, because Teddy had not been a full-time starter since 2015. Um, I just think it was unfair to Teddy. You know, I feel bad for the guy to a degree, because, you know, he's given, well, he obviously he's given $33 million guarantees. It's hard to feel sorry for him. He, he cashed in. Carolina gave him an opportunity. I just don't know the market was that strong for Teddy. I know there was talk about maybe Tampa Bay being interested before Tom Brady, New England being interested. I didn't see that as an upgrade. I didn't see it as a long-term building block. And I think most people agreed it was a, quote, bridge to the next guy. I hate when they say that because it's so cringy. But it, it is true. I mean, that was a bridge quarterback. But, man, when Matt came out postseason and had that pressure about how Teddy needs to stay healthy, that's the first thing that caught my ear was – you know, all the talk about camp, and then Teddy gets the knee injury, and Teddy's not quite himself after that. First game back from that at Minnesota, his big homecoming game, he was horrible. I mean, I'm sure he was not feeling great as well. But again, when you're talking about the final two minutes of a game, final stretch of a game, defensively, could have used more help? Sure. There was a stretch where they, I think, allowed or, or, or yielded two punts in eight games, I think it was, whatever. Phil Snow's defense had a really rough drop. But Teddy, was supposed to be, by all accounts, the guy who could engineer this offense to perfection. And it was the opposite down the stretch. The fumble at Green Bay, the miscommunication, go high, go low there. And Joe Brady's on the field at that point down the stretch. Um, you know, the, the errant throws in the season finale against New Orleans, the fourth down, third down conundrum before the two-minute warning against Denver. Again, these are all games that were sort of out of the playoff race, but again, Big-time audition games for Bridgewater. A lot of people said, hey, John, it's no big deal. They're, you know, lose as many as you can. Tank for Trevor. I'm telling you, look, they want to see Bridgewater perform up to the standard. That's going to dictate the future of this quarterback position. Sure enough, that's what Matt said after the season. He needs to get better. And lo and behold, they're trying to deal him. So, I mean, it's not just me. It's not just others who have analyzed Teddy's game uh, as being substandard at times. It's the team. So when I tell folks, hey, you're just a Teddy hater, <laughs> Go talk to your owner. John, I, I kind of wanted to jump back onto the uh, Texans being patient 
Um, Nick Casario said in his opening presser quote that they have zero interest in trading Deshaun Watson, the player. And he most recently said that the Texans are categorically opposed. Is this a situation that could drag out past the draft? And do you see Carolina willing to wait past the draft? You know, that's a fascinating question, Bryson. It's one thing I, I raised this week, the timeline of this. Now, if I'm Nick Casario, of course I'm saying that. I mean, would I want to trade Deshaun Watson? No. He's just he's just arriving on the scene here, assessing the damage. And obviously this damage was done through Kyle McNair and then Jack Easterby and some of the uh, assurances that were made in the process. I, to my knowledge, I don't think Deshaun has any issues with Nick Casario. But – to that point, yeah, it's interesting, Bryson, because what do they do? Carolina, if they don't nail something down with Houston before the draft, then what do you do? You're sitting at eight. You're in Trey Lance territory, maybe. You're certainly in Mac Jones territory. I just, I, I, I'm pumping the brakes on Mac because I know a lot of people are high on him right now. But the lack of athleticism really bothers me with Mac. I think he was in a perfect situation with Alabama. We'll get to that later, I'm sure. But you're in that sort of as Joe Person has said, no man's land. And I agree with Joe. They're in a situation at eight where they really don't have a, a, a handle on Wilson or Fields. Maybe a landslides, but you know, then you've got a you know situation at number seven with Detroit. Teams are going to be jumping up to trade in front of Carolina, maybe now to grab trade lines. So what do you do? If you don't land Watson, presumably that's what they're trying to do based on all reports, then then the draft comes around. How do you handle this? Do you go all out and try to get a top three pick and say, you know, we can't get Watson, that ship has sailed? Or do we draft the BPA? And do we try to convince us with Teddy in the event that Watson would be available later in the summer? It's fascinating. I just don't have any answers for you on the timeline. I, I, I've heard things from the inside on, you know, Watson's preferences, on where this might go, from sources within the league that say Carolina – might go a certain way, but I got nothing on the timeline. I've got nothing there. I can't even begin to tell you. And that's the most important dynamic here. How does Carolina approach this timeline-wise, pre or post-draft? I think Tepper has a lot of say in that and how aggressive he wants to be and if he really yep. wants to get the deal done or not. Because I think if, if you give if you give Houston a, a deal they, they can't say no to, then they're not going to say no. So I, Possibly, I, think, yeah. I, I think that he's got a, like a, a huge – say it in that but let's let's transition into the the cuts and restructures that they've been working on for the past couple of weeks to uh, free up cap do you think that it's leading to an active free agency or are they clearing room for extensions or what what do you think is going on with, with the with the cap right now yeah I think it's a little bit of both I think obviously you know Kawan Short was a guy we all expected would, would possibly move on he was on uh, Sirius XM this week talking about weighing his options sound like he, he might want to try to make one more last push somewhere else. But again, I've seen reporting that doesn't rule out his return at a lower cost. Charles Johnson went through this uh, not too long ago. And I've seen other veterans as well along the defensive line come back at a lower price. Um, it, it's tough with this rotator cuff injury. That's a hard one to come back from. Uh, as far as Trey Boston, that would surprise me a little bit because he's, you know, when Eric Reed moved on, my understanding was Trey was excited about, not that he was happy that Eric left, was excited about taking the Mantle Thieves Avenue, the whole theme. I don't think Trey performed poorly. I don't think his contract was outrageous. I think he's one of the most underrated safeties in the league. But I think that's an indicator that, again, for the cap number, as well as Weatherly, which was a no-brainer to me, that was a bad contract. 
um, they're trying to create some flexibility for what might be incoming. Now, if it's a rookie quarterback, that's not a big concern. You've got a rookie contract. You can negotiate that uh, for four years, and uh, you've got a nice window there to, to get somebody, assuming they work out, on the cheap for good value. Watson's cap number isn't outrageous until you get it, even for his standards. It isn't outrageous at all. It just gets it climbs a little bit after 2021. But coming to this year, I think it's in the 20 millions. So you're not talking any more than maybe what Bridgewater would be costing you cap-wise. Um, it could be a little bit of both. I mean, let's think about what's ahead of them. DJ Moore, you got to extend him at some point. Do they have an interest in keeping Curtis Samuel? Maybe that frees up funds for that. Taylor Moten, franchise, extension. Where do they go there? And then you're going to have a bevy of young guys coming in sooner or later that are going to need some you're going to need to extend them. Um, but DJ Moore is the one that comes to mind. I haven't seen DJ mention any of these reports, by the way. I think it's smart. Um, whoever's leaking this stuff, whoever's reporting it, I think it's smart that it, at least from Carolina's end, they're making it clear, I think, that DJ Moore is one of the untouchables. And I, I would like to see them stay in that direction. Robbie, to me, is a guy you could deal before DJ. But to your point, um, I think it's a little bit of both. If, if they're going all out for a Watson, this would clear space for that. But then, man, you're left with a lot of rebuilding. And where do they go from here? That's a lot of, uh, you know, in terms of just the cuts alone, short, Boston, Weatherly. And then, you know, you've got potentially two or three veterans. They might trade away for Watson if it comes to be. Then where do you go? It's fascinating. Yeah, let's let's get to some viewer uh, or guys on Twitter that have reached out and offered up some questions for you. We'll get to some of those, and then we'll end on the draft. We got uh, – at 95, keep pounding this salesman. A lot of people know salesman. him. Great, great account to follow. <laughs> yes. He asks, offensive line is our biggest need, true or false? Um, I think quarterback's your biggest need right now. You cannot win a Super Bowl. You cannot compete for a Super Bowl with the status quo. Quarterback has been a woeful, inept situation since the middle of 2018. It's been bad. When Cam Cook took that hit in Pittsburgh to T.J. Watt, um, let's just face it, guys. It's been really rough watching Kyle Allen. It was really rough watching Teddy at times. They need a franchise quarterback. How good can that franchise quarterback be without an offensive line? You know, hey, Deshaun can make things happen with a patchwork line. I think the thing with Deshaun is this, and to answer Salesman's question, O-line would be second on my list, probably followed by corner opposite Dante Jackson. But that remains to be seen in terms of what they would give up in a trade. Remember, there's also the opportunity to trade up to the top three in the NFL draft. What would that cost them in terms of capital? But as they sit right now, they've got a franchise or extend Moten. That puts them in a good position. Paradis is under contract. I thought he played much better last year. I think he's still very solid. Got a pretty good cap number. Their two guards are free agents. So you've got to do some things. They did re-sign Scott. And left tackle, I like that move. I think he's a very versatile player. He provided some strength at times in terms of the run blocking, and he's a decent pass blocker. But, yeah, they got to upgrade on the O-line. But Watson, to me, if they made that deal and the O-line stood pat, or maybe they added one or two guys to free agency at a low-level cost, you've still got a couple years to recoup there because he's only 25. So I'd say quarterback's number one need, offensive line number two. Well, John, just playing devil's advocate here, many argue, and we talked about this with Kevin last week, look at the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes, arguably the best quarterback right now in the NFL, and for the next 10, 15 years, 
he didn't have an offensive line and look where they ended up in the Super Bowl. Yeah. So very true. Very no, listen, I I I think I can attest that to a lot of things in terms of what Tampa did schematically on defense. And Tampa's very relevant because they're in Carolina's division. And we've seen firsthand, you know, as Carolina folks, how that pass rush can be so effective. Uh, you can't go backwards. The Greg Little thing's disappointing. That's a really disappointing draft pick so far. Um, you would have loved to have him been the guy at that at that draft number to have been your future at left tackle or even right tackle, and it just hasn't worked out. Dennis Daly's a swing guy. Who knows there? But yeah, I mean, to your point, you're right. I mean, there's concerns there. I think what they're thinking with Watson would be, at least my thinking would be, he's 25. Don't expect a Super Bowl this year. But at least we know we've got our franchise guy we can count on under contract for a few more years, and then we can extend them out, build around that. But, no, I mean, it's a, it's a very good point. I mean, what Tampa was able to do to Mike Remmers, uh, to that entire line, was uh, <laughs> I, that might be a once-in-a-lifetime type of thing, though. I think other than Super Bowl 50, which I would put right up there, I, I've never seen a line perform quite so bad in a playoff game. It was horrible. Yeah, and I think the, like you said, once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing, COVID with with their line being out, I don't think that was so much of a just a them having a terrible offensive line. It was pretty much guys coming off the street playing positions yep. for the first time of the season. And um, a, a patchwork line that they had compared to a line with the Panthers having Moten, Paradis, John Miller, possibly some rookies. Yeah, uh, Trent, Trent Scott at left tackle. I think that's you're in a little better situation there than the I Chiefs think so. And it's, to that point, I think if you if you lock down Moten somehow, and I think they're gone. I think all indications are Moten will be a Panther next year, uh, franchise or otherwise. I, I think Moten's far better than either of the tackles that played for Kansas City that night. And I can tag speak for Rimmers. We've all seen yeah. that. <laughs> uh, and then Trent Scott, you know, look, he's very serviceable. Would he be the future at left tackle? I don't think so but at least he gives you somebody you can lean on right now. Um, I just think, you know, Kansas City ran into a buzzsaw. They had uh, two backup tackles playing against one of the premier edge teams in the league, and then Todd Bowles just ate him up. Let's move on to another question from uh, Salesman. He, he, he gave us some good ones. Uh, this one <laughs> it says, can you build a Super Bowl contender with Deshaun Watson and 52 guys from Temple and Baylor? <laughs> Wait, one more time. Read, read salesman's question back to me one more time. I didn't catch the first part. <laughs> it says, can you build a Super Bowl contender with Deshaun Watson and 52 guys from Temple and Baylor? <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> let's hope that's not the extent of it. Right? <laughs> um, I, I will say, well, one of those Temple guys was quite good last year, Robbie Anderson. Um, I, I, I understand his point, though. That, looked, that was my skepticism about this deal from the beginning. This is, I think, not a lot Not enough people are talking about what a big year this is for Matt Rule, no matter what they do. If they draft a quarterback high, yeah, he's going to have to start showing some improvement from five wins. If they get to Sean Watson, they better be knocked on the door of a wild card right away. I mean, because you can say what you want about, oh, we're going to offload McCaffrey, whoever they might offload for that uh, trade, which is reportedly very much Carolina is in the mix. It's not just something we're making up. It's not mythology. Um now, it may not happen, but yet yeah, to Salesman's point, they're, they're going to have to keep building some solid parts around them. I think they've got some good pieces on both sides of the ball. Uh, DJ Moore, who is not a Templar Baylor guy, by the way, he's a Maryland guy, is, uh, I think, one of the most underrated players in the league. 
I'm fascinated. Here's one area they got to get better at, a tight end. They've got to figure it out. I don't know if it's Ian Thomas or the scheme guys or if it's Teddy. Because looking at the tape, I mean, Billy Marshall and my co-hosts were talking about Ian's production. And I just don't think we got a lot of slant, flat combo routes, a lot of short intermediate stuff. And he was in there a lot on pass pro, a lot of run blocking. But Ian was not a down-the-hash guy in terms of the offense. And when he was, Teddy didn't really go that way. So I think Ian can still get things done. But yeah, he's got the get... athleticism. He can catch the ball and block. I mean, I think it yeah. was, I think it was a system. But I don't, I don't know what they did at LSU. Was that tight end there heavily involved? Oh, yeah. I mean, Thaddeus Moss was, I think, quite involved. Oh, yeah. Um, and oh, not yeah. nearly as athletic in terms of what Ian brings you. So I, I think they're going to have to schematically or talent-wise figure out what it is because the tight end situation – um, for a guy like Teddy, especially, I mean, and a rookie as well, if they go rookie direction. You, and we saw with Cam early on, they brought in Shockey and Olsen early on as a double safety valve. You need that. So I, to me, a Joe Brady offense, which stems from Sean Payton, which in part stems from Bill Parcells, has always placed a high value on two things I haven't seen yet. A good screen game and good tight end play. And those are two things I think they've got to focus on. Yeah, we got one more question here. This is from Jay Rio 6 in the last 30 minutes or so. And he said, any chance the Panthers trade for Orlando Brown? Great question. Um, again, I, I would say this aligns a lot with um, the timing aspect. If, if they, let's say they get through the draft and Deshaun is still, you know, in a stalemate with Houston, they haven't done anything. And let's say nobody has dealt for Brown by that point. He's still in the market. I, I could see them dealing some future first for that. I could. I think that would be great. I mean, in terms of Orlando Brown opposite Taylor Bowden, boy, you're set. You're set for 10 years, assuming they stay healthy. Um, what would I say for that? If it was neither or Deshaun or Orlando, I think they're pretty clear that, you know, there are uh, several teams right now all in on Watson. I think Carolina – by most reporting and from what I'm hearing is one of those, but if that doesn't work out and you get post-draft, you get yourself a rookie quarterback and you're willing to part ways with future, it's going to take probably a first rounder to nail and maybe a little more on top of that. I can see that happening. Uh, I don't have any sourcing that says it's on the brink, but you know, I, I, I definitely think they would be interested because of their situation at left tackle. Now let's, let's go to the draft here to end things off and, John, if not Watson, who do you think the Panthers will target? Is it someone like a Wilson Fields or Lance? Or do you think they're going to trade back or take Mac Jones at number eight if all these other guys are off the table? I don't think they'll trade back for Mac Jones, and here's why. One thing they've talked about, and Matt Rule has hinted at this in the past, and this is something you've seen through some good reporting lately, is the lack of athleticism at quarterback is something they are, are yearning for. Now, I'm not saying that's the entire, you know, you, again, we're trying to recreate Cam Newton here. You're not going to do that. Prime Cam Newton was what he was. And uh, you got to think uh, a little bit outside the box here. But at the same time, with the way defenses are now, I don't like Mac Jones as much. I don't think he's a top 10 pick. I don't. I know Mike Tannenbaum and others have really hyped him up lately. Um, different strokes for different folks, guys. That's all I can tell you. To me, he's not the type of guy I want, especially with the deficiencies Carolina has on the line. Um, and I think he was custom-made for what Alabama does. Anticipation, timing, 
throwing to the best receivers the country has to offer with the best protection you can money can well not money can buy hopefully not but uh, the best protection recruiting can buy and uh steve sarkeesian who i don't think it's enough credit for uh his his coordination there and his scheme i think it, it really comes down to to wilson and, and fields and and lance as well i think trevor's off the board don't i i would not find the hype that trevor's stock is falling i think Urban and Trevor are a match made in heaven. Yeah, that's locked in. I think that's locked in. Unless, I will say this, unless, you know, Urban loves Deshaun Watson, that would be the only situation I could see. And that's a, that's a long shot. But they would make a deal. The Texans have made pick. some stupid moves, but that's that's within the division. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> hey, look, as stupid is, as stupid does, Curtis. <laughs> I, I would rule nothing out with Houston as long as Cal McNair is uh, making the calls. Uh, I love Fields. There's been a lot of talk about he's a one-read guy that's crap. You look at his tape, there's been plenty of examples of multi-reads. Uh, doing things out of structure is his strength. And he's very athletic and he's very well-built. And it's a guy that can you know get you those hidden yards like Newton, Lamar Jackson, others in this league have done, even Josh Allen of late. Uh, he's got the cannon of an arm that can make every throw sideline to sideline. And uh, Wilson, I think, is just a fascinating prospect in terms of what he can do off-platform. He's so good improvisationally. Reminds me a little bit of, if, if like, if you put Jake DeLome in Josh Allen's body, <laughs> in a more athletic, Jake used to make these type of off-platform throws and was very good at it, but Jake was not an athlete. Um, Zach has really good instincts from what I see on tape. Uh, and, and then Fields, I did some film study on him earlier this uh, month. Uh, not Fields, but uh, Lance from North Dakota State. And he's so raw, and he hasn't played much over the past 12 months. But, man, I see Cam Newton there. I see a bruiser. I see a guy that can hold up. And the arm strength and the arm talent is, is just remarkable. So it's all about when you get these guys, you got to customize your system to fit their strengths. Can Joe Brady do that? I think he's shown over the years, over his short amount of years, that he's able to do that. He did it for Teddy earlier on last year when he was healthy. He certainly did it for Joe Burrow at LSU from the passing game coordination perspective. So uh, I don't want to get into a ranking situation because I'm, I'm just not ready to hot take this one yet. But I'd say either one of those three guys would be on their radar um, if if they didn't get Watson. I think speaking I think speaking for me and Curtis both, uh, we really like Fields. We we watched some tape on him together, and we we really we really like his raw to the left. We think that's pretty much yep. unstoppable when he does that and then his ability yep. to improvise in the pocket and like you said the the one read stuff going on right now he's getting the Deshaun Watson treatment in the draft he, oh he's the same with Cam too Cam got yep. the same crap uh yep. Lamar got the same crap and you've seen what what offensive coordinators do Rob Chudzinski did this Greg Roman did this um and, and to a large degree Bill O'Brien did this with Deshaun well, and it gets Sean Ryan, another guy that is now on Carolina staff, was his first quarterbacks coach. Customize the system to help that part of the development. Is he the best quarterback in terms of reads and progressions? No, he's not. But is he inept? No, absolutely not. It's a horrible narrative. It's one that should be ignored. And that's my opinion on it. If you don't want to listen to my opinion, hey, go listen to guys uh, out there who have hot takes about it and take Mac Jones for crying out loud. That's your pick. I would not touch Mac Jones in the top 10. I think that would be a huge reach. Now, and I want to talk to you about Trey Lance because the, I, I, he makes me a little worried. Do you think that bruiser mentality is sustainable in the NFL? Cause 
I mean, you look at Cam Newton in his ninth, tenth year, and he's sitting and he's a free agent, and it's hard to find a team right now. Let me tell you something about Cam Newton, okay? I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of re- replay this narrative for you guys with, with, with Cam. And I hear you. I know where you're coming from. The wear and tear narrative, I think, is highly overrated with Cam. Cam's issue was three, threefold. Number one, the interception that he threw that was called back because of a penalty in 2016 against San Diego. He has to, of course, at Benjamin, at Kelvin, who was very lackadaisical <laughs> and even in his best days, let that one happen. Cam chases the interception down, takes a hard one on his shoulder. Boom. There's your first piece of damage right there. They kept letting him play that year. I disagreed with that at the time. I think looking back, I think we all disagree. Second thing comes around, T.J. Watt, 2018. Cam's having an MVP-type season, early 2018. Now, is the deep ball there? No, because of what happened in 2016, but not because of the running element. Cam is playing at MVP level. T.J. Watt destroys, again, that shoulder. And here we are again, down the stretch, with limited arm strength, limited ability to fit in tight windows, and the play declined, and teams knew how to clamp down. And then the, uh, the gut shot was, of course, the, the, the turf monster New England that ended everything. 2019, I was at camp that year, my first camp I covered since 2011. That, that team looked so ready to contend, especially after what happened in 18. Um, look, I, I just think with, with Lance, it's hard to tell with the field. Yeah, with Lance Sark, it's hard to tell. You know, it, any sort of things can happen in the running game. We've seen some catastrophic stuff happen with RG3, for instance. Um, I, I just I, I don't look at that with Cam's career arc as the main problem. I think it it I think Cam can still let it loose with 50 yard throws. We've seen it. But going into a new system last year, COVID that held him back. I don't think the running element is as dangerous as people make it out to be. I don't think with a guy like uh, Lance, even with a guy like Fields, as as well built as they are. I mean, some of these guys are as big as the biggest defenders they're going to face in, in the back seven. And when you get past that front line, you're looking at linebackers. I mean, Cam, there's one play from Cam 2017 where he uh, – the, the slam dunk play against uh, Atlanta where there were guys backing off. I've never seen that. A quarterback where you've got Deion Jones and others backing off saying, oh, buddy, take this one. It's fine. I think these two quarterbacks have similar traits more so with uh, with Lance. And I, I think, to your point, yeah, could it have a wear and tear effect? Sure, always. But I think the thing you got to do is protect your quarterback in the pocket. That's what happened with Newton, ultimately. And teach them how to uh, slide and not take hits like Kyler Yeah, Murray that's the thing that – Or, or a, Lamar Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> but Lance doesn't like to slide. If you watch his tape, he's taking that hit. He is taking on the hit, and he's not backing yep. down. He takes some unnecessary that. hits. Camp, Camp took a lot of those, too. I think Camp, you got to you factor in the fact that Newton was 6'6", 250, built more like Julius Peppers. Yeah, than, than Cam Newton's a different guys. animal. So think, yeah. Cam Newton's a different was, animal. punishing people at the same time. But, yeah, these guys aren't quite at that makeup. So, yeah, you got to learn to slide, no doubt. We appreciate your time, John. Thank you for coming on the No Name Podcast and, and answering our questions <laughs> and spending time with us, man. We, we really appreciate it. Shoot, this is great, guys. I'll be glad to uh, – to come on again anytime i love talking with you guys this is awesome loved it yeah john thanks so much for joining us tonight on panthers on tap we appreciate all your insight research and tape on one panther place if you don't follow john on twitter one you're missing out and two give that man a follow it's at one panther place john pleasure of having you tonight i know one thing about john i i really appreciate it is on his twitter is his 
throwback tape of Cam Newton and Steve Smith and Jake DeLone and all of that, man. It takes me back to the good old days when Panthers, when the Panthers were contenders. And I, I just – I really appreciate his Twitter, and uh, I, I really appreciate him coming on. Yeah, he's he's got great insight, and he's got video to prove it, and that's what's nice. You, you see the the tweets and the words, but when you actually see it on tape and he breaks it down in depth, it gives a whole new perspective of of watching film and dissecting some of these guys, not only on the Panthers, but on other teams, which is good. All right, Curtis, let's transition into the giveaway that we were promoting all this this week and the past week on Twitter. I'll give a better drum roll this time than you. I appreciate that. Mine, <laughs> mine was really uh, pitiful the first time, and I uh, I can't deny that. So um, let, let's first go over what we got in here. We, we were giving away a K-1 short rookie auto, a DJ Moore rookie auto, and a Brian Burns rookie auto, um, all football cards, um, some very stellar Panthers players. So, all right, Curtis, drum roll, please. All right. The winner of the giveaway, Andrew Garcia. Uh, his Twitter handle is M and Rue Garcia 23. Uh, if, if you're listening, please reach out to us and, and DM us so we can get your information that we need to mail you the cards. Congrats, Andrew. And, and again, we'll be doing these giveaways every couple of weeks. So stay tuned to our Twitter and we just love to give away Panthers gear and just get you guys involved and get you listening into our podcast. Thank you guys so much for all the reception on Twitter. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you guys for the love. We, uh, we love being involved with the fans. That's why we started this thing to get, give people like us a voice. So thank you for listening and thank you for tuning in. And yeah, just like Curtis said, just keep listening because we'll be having more, more giveaways on the way. Now, Bryson, we got to get into our draft picks of the week this is probably one of the better ender segments to a podcast because we love to drink Absolutely. beer whiskey whatever you're thinking i'll start off we got tonight i i'm on this amber ale kick and this is from a local uh, brewery here in winston-salem north carolina if you ever get a time to drive on up 40 to the triad go to winston-salem and this is fiddling fish brewing company it's an Ardmore Amber Ale. It's a really, really good beer. I love I love Amber Ales. You guys by now should know that. It's a little bit darker than the last Amber Ale I had, which I don't have a problem with. Um, it doesn't have that IPA aftertaste, but it's, it's really good. It's a darker amber, so if you enjoy ambers, I'd give this one a try. It's probably one of my top five ambers I've ever had, so it, it's a really good beer. Again, that's in Fiddling, it's Fiddling Fish Brewing Company here in Winston-Salem. Go give that a try. Come up here. They got a really, really cool brewery inside, really sweet art. They got a big screen projector. So, yeah, really cool atmosphere, food trucks on the weekend. So, yeah, one place I definitely give a shout-out to, Winston-Salem Fiddling Fish. Got another Winston-Salem beer, I see. Winston-Salem's underrated, man. They, they, they got some good breweries here, and I think if you get the time to come up to Winston-Salem, it's worth the trip just for the breweries. So, they might, have, they might have more breweries and restaurants downtown soon here. <laughs> you ain't kidding, man. <laughs> hey, if, if they're all as good as those, then I, I'm fine with that. So uh, I, I know I, when we first started, I said I was going to do local beer and um, and just kind of stick with the local guys. But I had to switch it up this week from beer. I, uh, I'm i a big whiskey guy. Curtis knows that. And pretty much anybody who knows me knows that. And 
I, I just wanted to do my favorite whiskey. It's from Buffalo Trace. It is called Eagle Rare. Pretty much anybody who drinks whiskey knows what this is. Um, Eagle Rare, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey from Buffalo Trace, a place on the bourbon trail uh, in, in Kentucky. It is one of the smoothest whiskeys that I've had, and it's like 40 bucks a bottle. It's hard to, very hard to find in North Carolina or anywhere for that point. Um, but if you get your hands on a bottle, I highly recommend it. It's very smooth. Um, it doesn't have like a strong burn to it. And you just drop an ice cube in there. Don't let anybody tell you to not drink your whiskey with an ice cube in it because it it tames it down a little bit and just gives it that smooth taste that you, that I really love in whiskey. So uh, Eagle Rare, uh, if you haven't had it, try to get a bottle. And I, I promise you it won't let you down. But Eagle Rare, definitely give it a shot. Yeah, you got to share some of that with me. <laughs> have I had that with Have I had that? Uh, I'm not sure. You got to share. You got to share a little bit. That's my good stuff. I don't know about that. Don't don't be (laughs) hiding on me. Well, thank you guys. That segment again was called Draft Picks of the Week. We'll have two more next week for you. And we just keep on on drinking during every episode because that's what we like to do. So thank you guys so much for watching our third episode of Panthers on Tap podcast. You can catch all of our episodes every Thursday on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, Wherever you listen to your podcast, just search Panthers on Tap. Hit the follow button on Twitter at Panthers on Tap for all your Panthers analysis and breaking news. And until next time, as always.